This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Today, you're listening to episode 35, and I'm talking with Celeste Goodson. Celeste is the owner and founder of ReCore Fitness. ReCore is a program that works to improve core, pelvic floor, control, strength, stability, and function through pregnancy and recovery. Celeste is the mother of three herself, and she found that she had some challenging issues with her third child, and in her research, trying to figure out what the heck to do, she discovered so much great information, and over the last decade, has founded this amazing business called ReCore Fitness, where she's helping other mothers who have gone through the same thing that she's gone through find solutions. ReCore has programs to help reactivate, realign, re-strengthen, and re-stabilize. Celeste also has training options where she can give you a custom consultation and training for your specific needs. And she also has products. She actually created a Fit Splint, which is a belly band to wear when you run while you're pregnant. I've had so many moms ask me, what do you wear as you get further along in your pregnancy if you're continuing to run? And Celeste also had that problem and she found a solution and actually created it. I'm so inspired by the fact that she went and made this solution because it seemed like a lot of work. She tells us all about it in this episode. Um, She shares with us what they do at ReCore as well as how she founded that business. Very inspiring woman. I hope that you get the information you need out of this episode. If you know any moms who are pregnant or newly postpartum, this is definitely one to refer them to. All right, friends, this podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. So make sure you check out Sandy Boy Productions on Instagram and learn about our other shows in the network as well. Okay. Enjoy my conversation with Celeste. All right. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Celeste Goodson on the show. Welcome to the show, Celeste. Thanks, Lindsay. I'm super excited to be here. I am super excited to have you. You know, we know each other through the running world and this actually is a conversation that could be relevant for both I'll have another podcast and why is everyone yelling so I'm excited to educate our listeners today yeah yeah this is great okay so Celeste you run a business called ReCore Fitness so tell us what you do at ReCore yeah so I started ReCore about 10 years ago uh, after my third child and I was a pre and postnatal trainer at the time um, had worked in physical therapy and just felt like seemed to be missing uh, total core conditioning postpartum. It seemed to only be an issue if you had DR or things like that. And I had issues myself after my third, um, dealing with some mild prolapse and incontinence. And I really struggled returning to running after my third child. And I just felt like, wow, there's a lot we don't, I don't know that I should know. And um, I did get a lot more educated in the public floor. And I felt like, you know, let's just be a little more proactive with postpartum women, get them to recondition their core pelvic floor, no matter what postpartum. And, and that's what record is about. So I have 
online programs people can self-pace, do on their own. And then I do training one-on-one with people online or in home. Okay. This is what I'm just pelvic floor. This is what I'm floored about, (laughs) you know, as you were saying. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) floored about it. I'm floored. Um, You know, I was thinking about this as I was researching this interview, how I left the hospital after every baby. And then, you know, you go for your six week checkup with essentially zero information on this, like zero. Um, And, you know, I think I'm really fortunate. I, I didn't really have many issues, but I'm like, how did that happen? Four babies, one C-section, three vaginal deliveries. And I think I was really a recipe for disaster, especially after that first with how quickly I started running and just resuming normal activities without giving any attention. And I think that's just like, it's such a testament to our healthcare system in general. Everything is about, um, fixing the problem after it's a problem. And there's no talk on prevention about much of anything. So this is one of those things. So why do you think it is that women leave the hospital with this new baby and they're just like, Hey, at six weeks, resume normal activity. Right. It's kind of mind boggling because you think about it. If someone has surgery, even if someone has back pain, they are going to be referred to PT Mm -hmm. and a woman literally gives birth their muscles have stretched for nine months. There may not be any tears, may not be any major pelvic issues going on, but just because those muscles have stretched so much is reason enough to spend some time uh, reconditioning the core. And some people are fortunate. They have really good connective tissue that can help a lot. Uh, and then if they just gradually work into things, their body is slowly going to strengthen and, and you know, be able to handle things as they increase load and demand. So, you know, some people can be fortunate. I would say you're definitely in the minority. I know I, I don't see the worst of the worst because, you know, there's public PTs out there, but I do see plenty of women. Um, and it's definitely something to, I mean, for crying out loud, let's just help women out a little bit after they have a baby, right? Oh, you're just thrown into the trenches. And oh, by the way, you might need to check on this as well, but nobody's going to tell you about it until, you know, you're until already seeing issues. Right. So do you like, do you know why with your third, you were having more issues than with your first two? Yeah. You know, she was a larger baby and I did slowly have some DR, uh, you know, diastasis recti a little bit with my first, a little bit more with my second. And then by my third, it was a little bit more. Um, and so those things and, you know, in combination, a bigger baby can really wreak a little havoc on the public floor. And so I did have mild prolapse after that. Is that typical that, you know, because I, I don't know if this is normal, but for me, all of my babies were bigger as well. Every single baby mm-hmm. was bigger. So is mm-hmm. that more normal to see? Like, do you see more patients after that third baby or more babies? You definitely see more women after the second or the third or, you know, that rather than the first. But there are definitely women with their first. They have issues right off the bat. Um, like I said, it kind of does come down to genetics and then any birth complications like prolonged pushing, if forceps or vacuums had to be used, um, those three things really can affect those pelvic floor muscles a lot. Okay. So woman comes home from the hospital. What are the things, you know, you take it super easy for at least four weeks and then they say it's six weeks. That's like generally that is just the rule of thumb with childbirth, with any surgery. It's like six weeks, you're good to go. Um, 
What are some things women should be paying attention to for any like sort of signs that they might need to go see someone? Yeah. So the first thing I'd love to change is getting women to be able to do some of these core pelvic floor exercises within the first, uh, after the first two weeks postpartum. It's generally safe for everyone. If you can walk around and, and lift a baby and squat on the toilet, you can do core pelvic floor exercises. So it's just really helps wake up those muscles, get them responding faster, better. Uh, and those can definitely be done before six weeks. But I do ask for medical clearance and approval for women to do that. Um, so when they come, you know, they should be paying attention when they come home to pelvic pain, pelvic heaviness. Uh, they may not notice that until they try to start walking a lot, standing a lot, squatting or running. So that may cause a little pelvic pressure, heaviness, and that can be signs of prolapse. Then, um, you know, incontinence issues and pelvic pain. So pelvic girdle pain, which means any pain around the pelvis. It could be in the back. It could be in the groin, um, things like that. A, a lot of women do deal with pelvic girdle pain, pregnancy or postpartum. Can you explain what prolapse is? Yeah. So there are three types of prolapse. That's where the uterus, the uh rectum on the vaginal area, either of those kind of lower a little okay. bit. It's actually very common to have some lowering that happens because of delivery. It's just whether or not you feel the symptoms from it. Um, and there's three stages also, grade one, grade two, grade three, depending on how, how low things have lowered. Uh, the issue isn't so much what grade do I have. The issue is do I feel the symptoms and can we help get those symptoms to go away? So, you know, I had mild prolapse. They didn't tell me a grade at the time, uh, but I was seven months postpartum and really struggled to return to run. It felt very uncomfortable. Didn't feel right. You feel like something's going to fall out. It's definitely terrible, but the symptoms can improve without the grade actually improving. So oh, wow. it may, yeah. And then, um, you know, I've been running marathons since, and there's still a lot of research that needs to be done with prolapse, but um, it's never gotten worse. It's never gotten worse. So um, there's a lot of fear associated with running with prolapse, and the issue really is strengthening the muscles and the tissue. Symptoms improve, and so that you can return to run. Okay, so does it ever go back? It can move a little bit, um, but oftentimes um, it doesn't move a lot with exercise, but the symptoms can improve and then it doesn't get any worse, if that makes sense. Okay. So I guess let's just, let's just go Typically. there. Let's talk about yeah. what are some exercises people should do if they are experiencing prolapse? Yeah. So if they're experiencing prolapse, I would definitely encourage them to see a pelvic PT. And then it's just a matter of reconditioning the core pelvic floor. And the way to think about it is we do have an inner core system, and that's the transverse abs, the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, um, like multifidus, small back muscle. Those four are like an inner canister that respond typically first. They don't have to, but they typically turn on first. Um, but getting that canister, it's like a pressurized canister when you breathe in and relax to coordinate well um, is sometimes a little uncoordinated postpartum and so strengthening, lifting, relaxing, lifting, relaxing with the core pelvic floor is like the first step. And then you load it, then you make it harder, you make it harder. And then you also introduce the pelvic floor slowly 
uh, you think about the pelvic floor being a hammock, you slowly introduce that pelvic floor to a little bit of impact after it's gotten some strength. So um, you the pelvic floor has to be voluntary contractions or involuntary contractions. So when you run really fast, it has to be able to do its own thing. You can't you can't try to control the movement, right? Um, so you just want it to be able to respond properly. And so if, a, if pelvic floor is too tight or if it's weak um, or it's just feeling uncoordinated, it's not going to respond appropriately. And then you have leaking issues or you get those bulging feeling. Okay. So issues with prolapse, issues with pelvic floor. I just want to make sure I understand they're two different things. Well, it can be. Yeah. You can have the you know, lowering of those um, internal organs, okay, which is one of those three, or you can have pelvic floor muscles, which are underneath um, that have stretched or torn. Some women do have tearing in the pelvic floor muscles. And that is, you know, that's the hammock. And that's what helps keep everything together and, and work together. I'm curious, is there research on like if you had to be cut in delivery, does that make a difference? Yeah. So episiotomies yeah. um, do affect the pelvic floor and there's grades of those. Um, it's just a longer healing time depending on the tear. But those typically, they can heal pretty well. It's if you get a tear in the levator ani, which is a pelvic floor muscle, um, it's called an avulsion, that can be a lot more difficult. But um but typically episiotomies will respond well to PT. Okay. Okay. I have a question with C-sections versus vaginal deliveries. I had my first baby, which is, is not super normal. My first baby was a C-section and then I was able to V back with the other three. So I wonder maybe, you know, that's the only baby I like came back really quickly with running and kind of in a very aggressive, probably not so smart way. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between um, C-sections and vaginal deliveries as far as recovery goes with like the prolapse and everything? And it was a scheduled C-section, I should say that, so we didn't do any okay. pushing or anything like that. So there are there is research. Women can get prolapse with a C-section, you know, because of the heaviness of the baby sitting down or what they're doing while they're pregnant, possibly things like lifting heavy with uncontrolled pressure. Um, there are times that women can get prolapse with a c-section uh so it's not a it doesn't necessarily save your pelvic floor if that's what you mean but i think in general um that you will see more issues with a vaginal delivery okay but it's just not necessarily true that someone with c-section won't have any issues don't be trying to schedule c-sections people (laughs) (laughs) the recovery Uh, is not fun did you ever have any c-sections i did not have c-sections i i had um, let's see, I was induced and natural with the first and the second, I really wanted medicine and she came five weeks early. I didn't get anything. And then with the third, um, I sat in the doctor's office and just waited so I could get in, I could get some epidural, (laughs) get an epidural. So you were no epidural with the first? No. Okay. I'm, I'm so fascinated by this because I, I've heard people do the opposite of that. Like my sister-in-law had her two babies epidurals and then her third, she was like, I heard third babies come really fast. I'm just going to like 
go for it and see if I can do it. And she did it and she did great. But I feel like I hear more stories of people, if once they go natural, they keep going natural. So tell me about your experience and why you decided to go for the epidural. And I, I am full epidural on all of mine, just so everybody yeah. knows. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I thought I was going to handle it pretty well. And to be honest, I think there was I had a lot of anxiety and being induced with my first and I was like, Oh, I'm going to go natural. I'm going to go natural. And the nurse kept asking me, Are you ready for your epidural? And I was like, Oh, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. And um, I just did not handle it very well. And so my second, I thought, surely I can get the epidural and I didn't get it. And obviously I went natural again, but I don't know. It was painful enough for me. <laughs> I'm like, I, I want to be in, I want to get an epidural. So I guess that's how I took it. How do you think you didn't give in to the, and I don't want to say give in, like I'm not like saying mm-hmm. epidurals are bad. I clearly chose mm-hmm. them myself, but how do you think yeah. like what you had the willpower to not give in to the epidural that first time? Yeah. Cause I, you know, to, I didn't really feel a whole lot until that last, you know, 30 minutes. Okay. But that was enough of that. You never want to do that again. That I was never wanted. Well, you know, to be honest, when I had my second and I was not induced, I was like, Oh, this is amazing. I get these breaks in between this, this, Oh, this isn't so bad. You know, but maybe by then I was just like, you know what? I just, I just want a much easier birth third time around. I do not need to feel that again. (laughs) I do strongly believe though, if you want to go natural you take the birthing classes and you mentally prep for it, mentally prepare. I think it can definitely help a lot as an athlete. I probably should have been more prepared. I do think mentally, if you want to do it, you definitely can. Yeah, I agree. So you didn't take any of the breathing or classes. Like I did, that? I did. Um, but I just didn't spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. It wasn't like a big priority. Yeah. 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 I've heard people talk about, you know, getting really invested in that and like, you know, having like meditations and things like that. And as a labor and delivery nurse, I'm sure that someone that walks in armed with like all of that, that says they don't want to, or they don't want an epidural, the nurses are probably like, okay, you've prepared. I believe you. Okay. Yeah. The nurse didn't believe me. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh yeah, we'll see in a couple hours. Yeah. I am in awe of stories of people that give birth naturally, given that I never have. And my mom always says, cause she, she had all three of us, uh, natural. She's always like, you have no idea. Oh, <laughs> and she was so young. She was like 19, <laughs> 21, 23 when she had us. So like uh-huh. she wasn't she, she, like, she wasn't messing with going to like classes or anything. She was just going yeah. in and doing what she had to do. But she, to this day, yeah. will say it's like the most painful thing she's ever done. <laughs> I would say that for sure. It's such a different experience too, because, you know, with all three of mine, when that I had vaginally, like as soon as I started being like, this is really hard, like this hurts really bad. I was like, all right, I'm ready for my epidural. And there's a lot of anxiety that went into like getting that epidural in too. Like that Mm. freaks you out a little bit, getting that stuck into your spine. Um, But the birthing experience is just so different different if you have a good epidural because I had three really good ones and I mean once the epidural was in it's just kind of like all right let's just hang out for like 10 more hours yeah I was laughing the rest of the delivery because I I was just like what this is so easy 
<laughs> I can't believe I put myself through that. Uh, anyways, but to each their own, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever works for you. I mean, shout out to everybody who is doing it, no matter how they're doing it. But I'm super impressed that you went in and you, you stuck to your guns on that the first time around. Yeah. Yeah. Hey friends, a quick break here to tell you all about Beam. Beam is committed to producing the best possible CBD products for the wellness-minded community. Their core values embody this commitment and serve as a guiding light for all that they do. Okay, I wanna tell you about the Beam Dream that I've been taking every night before bed. Ever since I had kids, sleeping has been a huge issue in my life, as I'm sure it has been for most of you. And my nightly routine now is to take the Beam Dream right before bed. I mix it up with some hot water and it tastes like a delicious, healthy hot chocolate blend. And it gets me relaxed for the night. It has relaxing compounds like magnesium in it. And that helps me drift off into a better night's sleep. This product is seriously a game changer for me and I'm sure it can be for you too. You have to try it out though to know. They also have a great hydration line as well if you're someone who's into working out. My favorite of their hydration line is definitely the post-workout recovery. It has all of the great electrolytes in it plus collagen and I feel so strong and recovered when I take it. You all can check out Beam. Go to beamtlc.com and use the code Lindsay15, Lindsay15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5 to get 15% off your order. Links to that will be in the show notes. And right now our show notes for this podcast are at sandyboyproductions.com. Just click on the why is everyone yelling tab. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Celeste. Um, okay, can you define diastis recti? I probably said it wrong. Yeah, so oftentimes people say ab separation, which is technically not a separation. That's tissue in between the rectus abdominis muscles, and they just stretch and thin. They just just depends on how big that belly gets is how much that it's going to stretch and thin. And by 35 weeks pregnant, pretty much everyone has ab separation to some extent. Uh, obviously, some factors can affect how big it gets. But um, yeah, it's just stretching and thinning of that tissue in the middle. If you do get a tear in that tissue, then that would be something that could cause a hernia. Ooh, yikes. Okay, so what are we looking for when we're trying to decide, like, do I have this? Does it need attention? Yeah. So I think the best perspective is to realize you're most likely going to get some degree of ab separate, or, you know, DR. And you just want to control that pressure while you're pregnant. So it's not necessarily a matter of, is this exercise safe or is it not? Uh, it's a matter of, can I control the pressure, which means engaging the core while you do an exercise. And if you see obvious bulging or doming while you're pregnant, most likely want to avoid that because that's just putting, pushing out that tissue a little bit more. Do you work with people at Recore before they deliver as well? I do. I do. Um, I, I'll do the training and I also have a Precore online program for pregnant women that they can do on their own. It just focuses on core pelvic floor strength. Um, we do full body exercises as well, but it's very, very focused on core pelvic floor. Okay, so we're talking about prevention here. You know, like you said, you there, most people are going to have that DR no matter what. 
But how important is it, do you think, for women, you know, once you start really showing, you know, I don't know, 25 weeks is when you're really starting to really get out there. Um, some people are probably laughing because they're like, what are you talking about, 20, 25 weeks? Each, ba- each baby I started going out a lot right, sooner. A little earlier. Yep. Um, but my point is, is like at what point in pregnancy do you think it's important to really start with these preventative measures? Yeah, you know, if you can start during core pelvic floor halfway through the pregnancy at least. I mean, earlier is always ideal, but if you can start at least halfway and start working your strength, you know, to some extent it may help prevent DR from getting worse, but it can also just help keep you strong, right? So you enjoy walking and running. You enjoy exercising better when you keep the core pelvic floor, glutes, back, you know, you keep all those muscles strong. What do you say to athletes or pregnant women who come to you and they're just super discouraged because they can't run anymore? You know, someone who's been running their whole life and they get to 20 weeks and they just, it's just not comfortable and they can't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, it's definitely, it's not a contest to see who can run the farthest during pregnancy. Being able to run far is not a predictor of how well you will handle birth. If you can run great and you feel great, awesome. If you don't, you know, it's, it's kind of stinks, but at the same time, there's so much you can do and just keeping up your cardio and strength is, is the best thing for, for you. It doesn't have to be running. I struggled with that a lot with my fourth. I I stopped a little bit sooner with each baby and Mm -hmm. with my fourth, I think I was maybe 28 weeks and I was just like, I'm just not doing this anymore. It's not fun. I don't feel good. I'm not like, I'm not finishing getting that endorphin buzz that is really what I want. So I would just go walk for 30 minutes. And I I feel like I was just as satisfied walking as I was feeling discouraged, feeling like crap running. Yeah. And I think that's important. You're doing something that you're enjoying. And if running is not fun anymore, then I I totally get it. Um, Running during pregnancy can get very difficult the last trimester. And I do recommend women wear a maternity support if they're running in their third trimester. Uh, some, A lot of women I know enjoy wearing it in their second as well, but uh, it just helps reduce a lot of that pressure, helps support the abs and the pelvis better. And so it can help you run a lot more comfortably. Do you have one specifically that you recommend? Well, we do sell one. It's called the Maternity Fit Splint, and I did develop it 10 years ago, so I am a little biased, but, um, you know, whatever works for you. If you can find one that works for you, that's great. Okay, tell me what went into developing that. Yeah, so after my – it was during my third. I had bought a maternity support, was running, and I just felt like the strap just went underneath the belly, and it didn't adjust very much, and I was just like, wow, this really – It's not helping stabilize the belly very well. Certainly, there's got to be a better one out there. And I just looked online. I couldn't really find what I was envisioning. And I wanted one with a strap to go, like two straps. One go a little higher and one lower so that you could stabilize that belly better. I also wanted to be able to use it to splint postpartum. So I knew the benefits of just supporting the abdomen while you strengthen just to um, give some support to the abdominal wall. Uh, But... Yeah, I couldn't find anything, and I got obsessed with the idea of trying to figure out how to design one. I I didn't sew, but I found material. I went I was dragging my two kids around sports stores, looking at sports material, and going, "What would I What would I make it out of? This or this or knee brace material or what? You know." Um, 
and eventually settled on some material and had some lady make 50 of them for me. Uh, and then I just gave them to people and I said, let me know what you think. And, um, and then I just went out from there. So kind of have grown it bootstrapped the product side of the business, but it's grown a lot. And, um, it's kind of crazy to think where it goes in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thought of it alone stresses me out just because I can imagine how much work went into making it like just exactly how you want it and the expense that goes into creating a product and figuring out how to sell it on what platform and all that. What do you sell it on? Um, we saw it on our website. We saw it on Amazon and then we sell to a lot of PT clinics and we have a couple of distributors that will also help distribute internationally for us. So, so it sounds like it's going well. It is. It is going well. Sometimes uh, it's, yeah, like you said, it's a lot of work keeping up with it. Um, if I'll do a shout out, if there's any amazing product managers out there, give me a call because I'm getting to the point where managing it myself is ridiculous. So I know. So do you manage it in-house? Like who's making them? Uh, well, they are manufactured in China. The material comes from China. Um, so it's very difficult to, we've tried and we have manufactured in the U.S. before. But it gets shipped and stored in a warehouse. And then we, we store like 12 boxes at a time in our garage. And actually, my kids help package up the orders. Oh, so that's so I do good. have two people that work for me, um, but one more on like customer service side and, and one on um, like training and research. So. Okay. So you started ReCore when your youngest was like you developed the band before ReCore or you developed ReCore? It was really kind of all at the same time. Um, cause it was my third that I started running and, you know, was frustrated with the product. And then it was after my third that I struggled running. And then I was like, wow, why are we not doing more core reconditioning postpartum? Um, and I, I was told by an OB seven months postpartum, I would need surgery. And I said, well, let me just, go back to the drawing board. Let me do a little more strength and exercise. And he's like, well, exercise isn't going to help you. I said, well, okay. And he didn't say anything about seeing a pelvic floor PT. We did not have good insurance at the time. Um, and so I just went back to the drawing board and, um, that's when I developed ReCore and within three months I was running fine. Wow. Okay. So tell me about like your certifications and stuff and like how you had the knowledge and expertise to like even know where to start. Um, my degree is in exercise science and then certification as a medical exercise specialist, which not a lot of people know what it is. It's like basically an exercise physiologist. I could probably go get that certification, but you, I had to have so many PT hours and, um, yeah, clinical hours to be able to work with special populations. So just train people that have been cleared by a doctor that have maybe neuromuscular, metabolic, or musculoskeletal disorders. So that just gave me a specialized personal training certification. Uh, and then I studied pre and postnatal. Um, and so then I was doing that kind of training after my second. So you were just fascinated with like how this all worked and how to rehabilitate yourself as well. Yeah. And then just did the work and figured it out and thought like more women need this in their lives postpartum. Yeah, I mean, it's and my trainings evolved over the last 10 years. I've always taken the approach of strengthening the core pelvic floor postpartum no matter what. Um, but there's been research that's come out and, you know, I've expanded 
how we approach DR, um, expand those types of things in training. So I do take the same approach and we do strengthen everything postpartum, but um, there's been a lot of things that have improved over the last 10 years as far as research and things like that. I love that. That's like, there's always going to be more research and, and yeah. more knowledge and that we can apply and add to the way we practice. And, yeah. you know, I think that's really important in medicine, too, that doctors should be paying attention to that stuff rather than just like, oh, here's the same old thing, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I know several moms that are even like five years postpartum, whatever, who like, you know, I'll go out in my garage gym and work out and they're like, I can't do box jumps. I can't jump rope because I, I, I pee my pants. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no idea how that I do not have an issue with that, but I don't. Um, is that something that like five years postpartum, if you're still experiencing that, can you rehab that that far out? You can. Okay. You can. What should we be doing? Um, I would say, you know, oftentimes people can do my program and that's enough, but I always encourage to go see a pelvic floor PT because there can be things they can see and um, there may be an issue with that I, you're not going to see from doing a program online, right? right? But half the time it is just coordinating that core and pelvic floor and getting the, the strength back. A lot of times if that just wasn't addressed or that the things you're doing never really helped develop that coordination and strength very well. The other issue, I say strength, but the muscle, like the, especially pelvic floor, it needs to be able to relax. So sometimes it is fairly tight. And a lot of times with athletes, it can be fairly tight. and doesn't relax very well. Just teaching the body to relax the pelvic floor and then contract, relax, contract, relax, just helps tremendously with getting that pelvic floor to respond to bouncing and respond to impact. So what is the exercise? You know, starting with basic Kegels is important. Okay. Being able to lift that pelvic floor, uh-huh. get it to relax, coordinate it with the breathing. So diaphragmatic breathing is what we start with. And you teach to breathe in and relax the pelvic floor. You teach to breathe out. If you're just breathing, you're not going to actively engage any muscles. But a lot of times I will teach breathe in and relax, breathe out and engage core pelvic floor. Um, you can, that's the basic thing to start with. Um, then you can do fast twitch type things with those muscles. You can get those muscles to hold. You can get the muscles to do negative, you know, pelvic floor relaxation techniques. And then you start introducing low impact drills. So a lot of times women are, are going from, um, you know, just doing some basic strength to box jumps and that pelvic floor is kind of freaking out. Like it's like, Whoa, that was huge. I was not ready for that. And so the pelvic floor sometimes just needs a little bit of gradual low impact drills, agility drills, um, very small jumps, just slowly getting that co- the pelvic floor to respond and coordinate with the moving, the jumping. And that's really what it is. It's getting that pelvic floor hammock a lot of times to respond and relax. And if it doesn't relax and it doesn't engage at the right times, that's, that's when you have issues. So you just, you can't just like sloppily go into it. You have to like mentally think about like, what am I doing down here as I'm doing these like agility workouts? Well, I would say I teach people to train the core pelvic floor outside of the fast stuff because when you're doing fast stuff, you can't control it. So, um, you're teaching the core pelvic floor to respond appropriately outside of 
typical performance training, if that, that makes sense. But you're also gradually introducing that performance training so that the body can respond appropriately. After you've been doing the techniques. Yeah, some strength down. So if you are five years postpartum or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you can still you can. address this issue. You can. All right, Celeste. So let's give our listeners five things to walk away with. Um, Maybe some people listening are pregnant with their first baby. Maybe they just had their third baby, whatever it is. What are you have five things that we're going to leave listeners with that they should know postpartum about their pelvic floor and core? Yeah. So first, really obvious, and I've said it a few times, go see a pelvic floor therapist. It's actually okay to see one while you're pregnant. They can teach you how to do Kegels properly. If you don't know what it means to lift or relax your pelvic floor, if you have trouble, because some women like squeeze their glutes, some women just don't really know how to do that. Um, And they can check and see how your pelvic floor responds. Do you have any tears? Do you have any issues, right? Um, Second is, and I did talk a little about this, your core and pelvic floor is a pressurized system. You want it to coordinate well. Um, and when it's not able to control pressure, which when the muscles stretch for nine months, you've got your transverse and your rectus and your obliques that have really, really stretched, people can have a really hard time controlling pressure, which means doing hard, high impact or hardcore exercises. Um, but once you get that strength back and you load the transverse, which is what I'm really big on with ReCore, is loading the transverse muscle. Um, that's what helps people get back to really hard exercises like hanging leg lifts, you know, pull up, push up. I mean, obviously you need upper body strength, that kind of thing, but you really need all those muscles working well. Um, and then third is that yes, all core muscles need to be strengthened postpartum. There's a lot that people would say, Oh, only if you have DR, do you need to worry about it? Or, Oh, if you have DR, just do basic TVA muscle engagement, which that's fine. That's isometrics. You need to load it. You need to move it past that. Um, Third, people will say, oh, don't do crunches. Crunches are practical. Eventually, you can do them. You just need to get pressure control. And so, yeah, all the muscles need attention postpartum. Fourth is, you know, people women will, you know, try to engage their pelvic floor while they run. Will that help? Maybe that'll help. And running is an involuntary muscle movements. It's, it just has to happen so fast, mm-hmm. up, down, up, down, up, down. You can't do that while you're running. Just, just remember the, if you ran track in high school or college, your coach has always told you to relax. That's what you do with your muscles. When you run, you relax, you do think about form. You think about breathing, think about how you're landing but we don't try to contract muscles here or there, right? So same with pelvic floor. Um, And then fifth is yes, it's never too late. There's so much women can do to improve their symptoms and be able to get back to doing things that they love. So don't let DR, don't let prolapse, don't let stress incontinence stop you. Go see a pelvic PT. You you, you can reach out to me for training or try the online program. Um, Recondition your inner core and see how that see how it goes. I am just like so mind boggled that I have had four babies and like never talked about this with my OB. And I yeah. I love my OB. Like mm-hmm. she is so special to me. She only delivered one of my four babies, but 
Um, she's just, she's been an amazing doctor for my kind of like neurotic and like <laughs> crazy thoughts about health related stuff. And, um, but I, I, and I, so I'm not really faulting her. I'm just faulting like the system of practitioners. It's like, this is not, I, I, I don't know, think I ever even talked about doing Kegels when I was pregnant with my doctor yeah. or the nurse. Yeah. It's definitely improving. OBs are becoming a little more aware that pelvic PT and what they have done with research. Um, they've done a phenomenal job and there is a role for pelvic PTs. I feel like it should be standard care. Women see a pelvic PT postpartum and make sure things are okay. And given basic instructions on how to strengthen your core pelvic floor postpartum, um, in, and the OBs just weren't trained on it. They really weren't. And they didn't study exercise science either. So, you know, they do look for the very big red flags of bleeding, yeah, things like that. But um, they're not PTs, and so you, in some ways you can't fault them. But at the same time, there's a lot of education that's happening, and OBs are starting to say, "Hey, go see a pelvic PT. Go try this program." Um, I do have PTs that refer my program, um, so you know, give them some sort of footprint to follow postpartum. Yeah, and I mean, some people are going to be like, "Meh, I'm fine," but some people well, are going to. Some people are, you, you know, are one of the very few yeah. I've talked to, but it's amazing, right? So some people are blessed with good genetics. They don't, the tissue doesn't stretch as much. So you're not going to have those prolapse symptoms. You're not going to have the DR as much. And, um, you know, Hey, and maybe you did some great strength during pregnancy or postpartum. Maybe, you know, those factors all helped. You never know. Yeah. It's just the fact that like to give the option How, for I want, sure. and I mean, it's just, it's hard too because insurance and stuff and yeah, that's, that's, it's tricky. And the other battle is, you know, someone can go out and return to run really slowly and do fine on their own. Right. But if they do the core pelvic floor reconditioning, they're just going to feel so much better yeah. going out and running. I mean, you know what it's like, you know what your body feels like when you first start running. If you haven't done a whole lot, it's like, whoo, this is, this is rough. Um, but just a little core pelvic floor strengthening, um, can go a long way in helping you feel a lot more stable and a lot more strong while you run. Um, okay. Celeste, what is the website where people should go check you out? Uh, so it's recorefitness.com. Okay. And you're recore fitness on Instagram, right? Yep. I'm so like every time I hear of like a mom who started a business or something like that when their kids were, you know, little babies, I'm always so inspired and intrigued by the process because you're in the middle of this like mess with all these little kids, yet you're pursuing this dream because you want to help other people. Now that you're 10 years removed from that, what do you look back and think and like, what would you say to Celeste 10 years ago? Oh gosh. Um, yeah, it, I really did enjoy it while the kids were young. It gave me something to really focus on cause I was clearly a trainer at the time, but I'm not doing another job, but, um, yeah, just being patient with, how things expand in social media and how, and not comparing yourself to what other people are doing. And it's so hard. It's and so hard. It's so hard. And you just have to stay focused with what you're doing and you can only do so much. So that would be, that'd be my advice. I was just listening to another podcast. Um, 
Sonia Looney is her name. Okay. She, she's a world champion mountain biker and she interviewed James Clear. He's the author of Atomic Habits. Have you read that okay. book? I have not. I, I actually started I've heard it. of it. Yeah. I started it and quit because I just wasn't <laughs> into it. But the interview is excellent. And um, he was talking about how with social media and like not wasting your time and not getting caught up in comparing, he was like, you, you can curate exactly what you're seeing on your feed. And it's like so many of us have yep. had these like social media feeds yep. for 10 years or whatever it is, you know, like all these people I've been following on Twitter for like literally 10 years and Instagram eight years. Yeah. And I've seen a couple people do this, like just go and delete everybody and start oh, wow. fresh. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm like so tempted to do that. So I can again, curate that feed that he's talking about. He was like, you can make your feed so that is nothing but educational, inspiring, you know, nothing that's like too yeah. busy or throwing you off in that comparison model. I'm just so paranoid that I'm going to like offend people. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll just have somebody else go in and start fresh so that I don't have to mm -hmm. feel guilty mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfollowing. No, I know what you mean. You're like, are they going to notice? And like, it's not personal. I just want to start notice. fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it is such a good advice because you can have control over what you see and what influences you. And, um, it's, you can definitely play a comparison game all the time and, and that doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah. And if you just get back to the root of like, why did I start this in the first place before all that noise was even there? Like why? Cause 10 years ago, the noise that we're talking about was not as noisy no, as it is now. No, definitely not. And there's a, a lot of prepostatal experts, and um, it, which is great. There's so many. It's like almost like, okay, I think I'm ready to step away. What else can I do now? Because <laughs> it's like everyone's, everyone's doing it, which is fine. But I, I do – it is hard when you see someone just had one baby and, and, and yeah. then they're an expert. You know? yeah. so I'm like, okay, all right, well, it's okay, though. I mean, I think that any profession same could be said. I mean, think about with podcasting too. I'm like, who doesn't have a podcast these days? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you do a phenomenal job. Can I just say okay. when I first started listening to podcasts, I was running more. And when I first was like, oh yeah, go listen to podcasts, go listen to Lindsay Hine. I listened to so many of yours. Like it was just like one after another, one <laughs> after another. Oh, everybody, everybody. I just, I soaked them up. So you do a great job. Thank you. There's a lot of them in that backlog now. It's I always say I'm scared to hear what those early days sounded like. <laughs> but Yeah, no, no. Be proud. That was good. Um, okay. So how old are your kids now? Oh my gosh. My oldest turned seventeen this week. Seventeen. He'll be a senior next year. Okay, so boy Boy, girl, girl. Okay, and boy, I, girl, girl. A girl who'll be fifteen in a month and starting to drive. And then I have a third who will be 12 in August. So, so before we wrap up here, what I'm throwing this on you, I didn't prep you for this, mm -hmm. but I love talking to moms who have like been there, done that and are a few steps ahead of me. So like, you know, my kids are two, four, six and eight now. What, mm -hmm. what would your, your advice be to yourself when you were parenting in that season? Now that you're like, Oh, oh I'm way past that. You know, it's so hard because I know how hard and busy the mornings and the nights are. And just when you have the littles at home, how hard it is to get stuff done. You just feel like you just don't have much time to think for yourself sometimes. 
Um, but just enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it because, oh man, high school and middle school is just a whole new ball game. <laughs> have you had the game. phase where like, maybe you're lucky and you don't have this. I'm reading a book right now and the, the girl, the little girl is 13, just went through this phase where she's just mean to her mom, you know, she's just mm-hmm. in that phase where like mom's the worst and it's cause she's 13 or whatever. But have you had to walk through that at all? I feel like my feelings get so hurt. Oh uh, yeah. You know, a little bit with, with one. Um, but yeah, just the issues kids have to deal with in middle school, high school, the social media, the phones, the drama, they just have to deal with a lot more than we had to deal with. And, um, it's no joke. And, you know, life was much simpler when they were younger, but at the same time, it was very hard. And I do enjoy time to think on my own (laughs) and they're out of the house and my son can drive places and he can pick his sister up. So yeah. Right. Pros and cons to everything. Yeah. So they say little people, little problems, big people, big problems. Yep. Exactly. When did you give your kids phones and would you change when you did that? Um, so they did get them by the end of sixth grade. Okay. So like 12. But it was only for texting. Yeah. Um, our youngest, though, she got at the beginning of sixth grade and we did not let them have social media until eighth grade. Okay. So my son was not into it and he waited probably high school, but, um, now it's harder. You know, I've got a sixth grader who's begging, 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 um, for social media. And she's the only quote, the only one who doesn't have social media, but I know for a fact, some kids don't have phones and I know most do. And I also know most have social media, but, um, it's just a whole new ball game and a lot of you know, middle school brains that can't tolerate all the comparing and being left out and left it, you know, being a part of things. And so, yeah, that's how we've done it so far, but it's hard. It's hard to stick to your guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm curious in, in talking with all, all these parents, like I'm imagining because I'm a girl and I imagine I would have been dying to get on. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's probably harder with the girls. Would you say? Yeah. Yes. Harder with the girls. They're more interested in it. More into it, more into it for sure. And you know, she'll, you know, they'll get to go use TikTok or Snapchat with their friends and and do that kind of thing. I just don't have it on their phone. They don't have their own account on their phone. Yeah. No. A couple weeks ago, I had a therapist on a, that works with teens, and she said that at age sixteen, there she sees like a really big maturity shift. Like, obviously, you're still sixteen, but like that is the time where she was like, if you're going to do it, that's when I would feel comfortable doing it. But man, that does seem like really a long time to hold out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is hard for kids when the kids have it in sixth grade. Uh, and a lot of them do. But at the same time, I'm, I just re- try to remind my youngest that I'm saving her a lot of drama. <laughs> a lot of heartache. Yeah. And you can text your friends all you want. You can send them a video if you want. So yeah. I'm embracing this simplistic time where that is yeah. not even a, even a, a thought yet. And my oldest is eight. So yeah. I assume yeah. I have a couple that's, more years. Yeah, that's fun. Fun time. and It'll come fast. Okay. So what is not parenting related, but what is the best, most recent book you've read? 
Um, I am terrible. I'm not a very good book reader. I do read a lot of boring research and stuff like uh, that. Um, doing your job. <laughs> so I did read the Matt Fitzgerald running the dream. Is that what it's called? Running oh, the I dream. haven't read that one. I've read How Bad Do You Want It? Yeah. Okay. And I went to Bruce Camp at the time he was there. So I got to, you know, meet him and he was writing his book at that time. So it was kind of fun to read back to his experience. Um, and yeah, that was probably the last fun one I read. Do you have a do you have a kid's book you recommend? I know your kids are older or like a teen book. Mm. Oh, my gosh. If I pulled my daughter in here, she'd tell you 10 different books. Is your, um, let me know. Let me know this. Have your girls been more interested in reading than boys? Because I cannot get my oldest son to be interested in reading for the life of me. My oldest wouldn't either, actually. My huh. son would not read. He, I think Harry Potter was really all he could get into a little bit. Um, but no, no reading. And actually, I, I'm not to, I, I think he ADHD and that probably has something to do with it. Um, and my youngest, she also has ADHD, does not read. But she'll love, she loves the graphic novels. Mm, okay. But my middle child reads a ton. If you ever want me to send teen recommendation books, I could ask I her. her brain. Yeah. One of my yep. friends read Harry Potter to her kids and I'm like, now that's not a bad idea. If I read like a few pages a night and like that was our nightly routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all three of our kids, I tried to encourage them to read it before they watched the movie. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the thing for them. Um, yeah, there are some really good series and I can't think of them off the top of my head that my younger kids have enjoyed. Um, okay. So what is your last message that you want to leave with the audience today? Um, yeah, I just hope if you are having, you know, issues or feeling like you're really lacking in core strength that you can find a public PT or find me online and just really help get yourself feeling back to feeling like you can do what you really want to do. Run, jump, whatever it is. Thank you so much, Celeste. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Celeste, for coming on the show. You all can find Celeste on Instagram and learn more about Recore Fitness. Just go to Recore Fitness over there. You can also go to recorefitness.com and learn more online. You can find this podcast on Instagram. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling Over There? You can find me personally on Instagram. I am lindsayhine626. Thank you so much for being here today. And if you know any parents who might be interested in these conversations, make sure you let them know about this podcast. You can learn more about all of the podcasts in the Sandy Boy Productions Network if you just go to sandyboyproductions.com and find us on Instagram, Sandy Boy Productions. Thank you for being here. Have a really great rest of your day. And we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?